Miscarriages of justice and unsafe convictions happen more frequently than you might think. They happen due to forced confessions, unreliable forensic evidence, mistaken identifications, and even inadequate defence representation. Miscarriages of justice result in the destruction of lives, with the wrongly accused often tragically spending years behind bars. Compiled and created in the height of the COVID-19 lockdown by the Maynooth University Evidence Class of 2020. This is Injustices Served. Most people cannot imagine the pain of losing a child, but imagine also of having that pain unbearably compounded by an arrest, trial and wrongful conviction for their murder. Tammy Markard experienced it all and spent 13 years in prison for a crime that did not happen. Her exoneration came five years after the publication of the Googe Inquiry that investigated the expert witness whose testimony secured her conviction back in 1995 and the help of the Association in Defence of the Wrongly Convicted. This podcast will look at the role of Dr. Charles Smith as an expert witness in not just Tammy's trial and what eventually brought down his reign in a position he had no qualifications to occupy. We will also look at the role of the expert witness in an Irish context. Welcome to our podcast, brought to you by Group 7. I'm Maeve, your host, and this is The Untouchable Testimony, Tammy's Tale. Here to fill us in with the background of this case is our reporter, Owen. On March 12, 2009, Tammy Markard was released from Grand Valley Institute for Women. She had spent 13 and a half years in prison for a crime which never happened. Tammy was born in Ontario to European and Aboriginal parents. Raised by her mother, She was the victim of sexual abuse by her mother's boyfriend until she left the home at age 17. She met Robert Nelson and they were expecting a child for the summer of 1990. He left Tammy and their son two months after the birth. Tammy then met and married Ricky Markard just before her son's second birthday. Ricky was abusive to Tammy and she frequently contacted the Children's Aid Society. Kenneth, her son, had poor health from birth, including asthma, pneumonia, epilepsy and suffered from seizures. On October 9th, 1993, she entered their spare room to find Kenneth tangled in the bedsheets. After attempting to free him, she called 911 and was instructed to perform CPR. However, she was too distraught to comply. Her child died three days later in hospital due to oxygen deprivation-related brain damage. She was tried in Whitby, Ontario for the murder of her son in 1995. The Crown Prosecution used the expert testimony of Dr. Charles Randall Smith, whose testimony proved pivotal in the trial. 
The defence argued that the death was accidental, but due to the lack of funds and other doctors' reluctance to challenge Canada's leading expert in such suspicious deaths, they could not find a doctor to testify on their behalf. As I mentioned earlier, it was with the help of the Association in Defence of the Wrongly Convicted that advocated for Tammy's innocence. Our reporter Brian is here to explain their role in Tammy's eventual exoneration. So I'm here essentially to talk about um, Tammy's exoneration and the role that was played by the Association in Defence of the Wrongly Convicted, which is a non-government funded and a non-profit organisation in Canada. Um, they look at cases in which they believe people may have been wrongly convicted and fight for them. Tammy actually did um, appeal her case before uh, getting in contact with the Association in the Defence of the Wrongly Convicted. On January 2nd, 1998, Tammy had her case unanimously um, dismissed in the Ontario Court of Appeal. Um, and after this um, appeal, Legal Aid Ontario um, who were the organisation funding Tammy's um, cases um, they actually refused to provide her any further funding so she was unable to actually bring um, her case to the Supreme Court and try and appeal it there so yeah it was actually Tammy who wrote to the Association Defence of Toronto Convicted she wrote to them in 2004 asking for help with her case so suspicions around Smith um, kind of originated in the early 1990s but it was actually in 2005 that the AIDWIC, they actually brought to the chief coroner at the time, who was Michael McLennan, and the attorney general, who was um, Michael Bryant. And they urged that there would be a full public inquiry into Smith's work. Then on June 7, 2005, Dr. McLennan announced that there would be a full formal review taking place. And it was going to take place into criminally suspicious child deaths for which um, Charles Smith had actually conducted the autopsy himself. Um, as I said, um, the um, the concerns kind of originated in the early 90s, 91 to be precise. Um, there was a case in which a 12-year-old girl had been acquitted of manslaughter. Um, Charles Smith tried to say that this 12-year-old girl had thrown a 16-month-old baby down the stairs and killed her intentionally. Um, and at the time, just as Patrick Dunn was very critical of this, and he was critical of Smith's evidence, his conclusion and his methodology to even come to the conclusion, even claiming that Smith had come to the conclusion before he'd done an actual autopsy, that um, he had failed to look for any other possibilities. Um, Smith was one of ten people to look at the case um, from a medical expert point of view, um, nine of the ten disagreed with Smith, but Smith himself um, ultimately said no, that this is how the child died. The, um, the Association in the Defence of Drowning Convicted became even more concerned with Smith's workings in February of 2003 when they wrote to the Attorney General looking for the autopsy reports in the William Mullins Johnson's case. William Mullins Johnson was a loving uncle who was babysitting his niece and it stayed up watching television at night but his niece went to bed feeling quite sick and unfortunately during the night um got sick and actually choked on her own vomit. Um Charles Smith tried to say that Mullins Johnson had actually suffocated and strangled the child in her sleep. Um even the mam and the grandparents of the child had said that this was outlandish, that he was a loving uncle who adored 
his um his niece and this case almost became Smith versus William Mullen Johnson. Um and even looking back on this, Stephen Gouge said that it was almost as if Smith felt that he was a part of the prosecution in these cases. So how the AID WIC helped Tammy was they assigned people to look back over um, the case and look into Kenneth's death. Um, originally, this was Dr. Pekka Saku, who was a professor in forensic medicine at the University of Turku in Finland. Um, and in 2007, he reports to Chief Coroner that Smith's findings of asphyxia were completely illogical and against scientific-based reasoning. Saku also found that there was not sufficient evidence for di- diagnostics of asphyxia to be made, that it cannot be based only on petechial hemorrhages of thymus, pulmonary pleura, and epicardium, which are non-specific findings. Following the initial report in 2007, um, in 2008, Dr. Simon Avis was appointed. He was the chief medical examiner for the province of Newfoundland, and he conducted a second comprehensive review of the medical evidence surrounding Kenneth's death. And he also agreed that Smith had wrongly attributed Kenneth's death to homicidal asphyxia, and he concluded that death may have been by epileptic seizure or other natural causes. So here the AID WIC had found new evidence in which they could bring forward to, into Tammy's case looking at the death of Kenneth without they actually physically helped her. Um, in February uh, 10, 2009, they brought forward an application for leave to appeal Tammy's case to the Supreme Court of Canada along with any of the necessary applications for the extension of time needed for the appeal. And the following day, the request was granted um, with a new date set and then in March 12, 2009, Tammy was officially released from Grand Valley State Institution for Women pending the decision of her application for leave 14 years on after she had originally gone to jail for the death of her son. Um, on April 30th, 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada issued an order remanding that the case go to Court of Appeal for Ontario for consideration for fresh evidence and determination on whether Tammy's conviction constituted a miscarriage of justice. This process, however, took two years, and on June 7, 2011, her conviction was officially quashed and the retrial began, was to begin in February 2012. Before the trial even began, um, the Crown withdrew the charges against Tammy. Um, this was no doubt based on the fresh medical evidence of both Dr Sacco and Dr Avis, and also a third doctor, uh, Dr Christopher Milroy, who was an expert retained by the Crown. All three of the doctors agreed that sudden unexpected death in epilepsy could not be ruled out as a cause of death. So after 14 years, the charge of second-degree murder was officially dropped and Tammy was exonerated thanks to the help of the AID WIC. As we've heard, the miscarriage of justice occurred due to Dr. Charles Smith's expert evidence. Before we look into what that means, our investigator Jenny will do a deep dive into Smith's background and how he got to testify at Tammy's trial, despite inadequate qualifications. Let's take a deep dive into the man who was responsible for Tammy's miscarriage of justice, Mr. Charles Smith. Charles Randall Smith was the head paediatric forensic pathologist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto from 1982 to 2003. He studied medicine in the University of Saskatchewan before joining Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children in 1979 where he worked in surgery. The field of pathology is one based on research and opinion. 
Surprisingly, at this time, there was no formal training process for pathology in Canada, something that was highly controversial. So by 1981, Smith worked his way into the pathology field, becoming a routine pathologist in the Toronto Hospital. In a mere two years, he became almost solely responsible for investigating suspicious child deaths in Ontario for over two decades. In his career, he performed over 1,000 child autopsies. Smith has stated he had a passion for uncovering the truth in child deaths, something which compelled him to work in pathology. Perhaps this passion stemmed from the fact that Smith was adopted and has a complex relationship with his biological mother. Regardless, it appears Smith's words are a thwarted version of the truth. Smith has been accused of attempting to play a larger role than the pathologist. Julie Kirkpatrick, the lawyer of Brenda Wadby, another victim of Smith's, described him as being on a crusade and acted more like a prosecutor. It became known that it was unlikely for the conviction to be quashed if Smith was the pathologist on the case. Suspicions of Smith's competence as a pathologist was first raised by Justice Dune in 1991, after he acquitted a 12-year-old girl charged with the manslaughter of the toddler she was babysitting, based on the autopsy performed by Smith. This was two years prior to Tammy's case. In 1994, Williams Mullins Johnson was found guilty of first-degree murder of his niece, based on Smith's autopsy report. Johnson served 12 years in prison before it was discovered Smith lost tissue samples that would have exonerated him. In 1996, Sherry Sherritt was convicted of infanticide on the basis her child had a skull fracture and neck hemorrhages, insinuating he had been smothered. She served eight months in prison, was entered on the child abuse registry and her older child was removed by children's aid. Later examination of the child's skull showed that Smith confused the normal gap between skull plates as a fracture and that the neck hemorrhages were caused during the initial autopsy. In 1997, Louise Reynolds was charged with the second-degree murder of her daughter by stabbing her with a scissors 80 times. The case rested on Smith's report. However, the charges were dropped when multiple coroners agreed that it was in fact a pit bull who mauled the girl killing her. The above are just a few examples of other miscarriages of justice suffered in the hands of Smith. Following an immense amount of concern over Smith's work, in 2005, Ontario's chief coroner, Dr Barry McLennan, reviewed 45 autopsies of Smith's between 1991 and 2002. It was concluded that there were 20 cases of foul play made by Smith, 13 of which had resulted in criminal convictions. After these findings were publicised in April 2007, Ontario's government ordered a public inquiry into Smith's work. This inquiry was led by Justice Stephen Gouge and it became known as the Gouge Inquiry. Gouge wrote in the inquiry that Smith lacked basic knowledge about forensic pathology actively misled his superiors and made false and misleading statements in court. Despite Smith's plea that his failings were never intentional, Gouge stated that he cannot accept such a sweeping attempt to escape moral responsibility. In 2002, Smith was reprimanded with a caution by the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons for his work, and in 2003, he was moved from performing autopsies. In 2005, he resigned from Toronto's Hospital for Sick Kids and worked as a pathologist in Saskatoon. He was dismissed three months later as he failed to mention he was under investigation for his professional misconduct in Ontario. Finally, on the 1st of February 2011, Smith was stripped of his medical licence and he has not been reinstated since. Since before Kenneth's death, concerns had been raised about Dr Smith. It eventually led to the Gouge Inquiry being commissioned, which Chloe will tell us about now. It shone a critical spotlight on Smith's practices and led to his eventual downfall. Tammy's life as a convicted criminal changed. 
when Charles Smith's flawed expert evidence was revealed. She appealed her case to the Supreme Court in 2009 to have her case reviewed because she was a victim of Smith's faulty evidence. The work carried out in the Googe report offered Tammy a new chance of clearing her name. The Googe report highlighted several problems with the work carried out by state pathologists and their evidence given in the Canadian Ontario courts. The problems set out in the inquiry, such as the lack of qualifications pathologists had, their lack of knowledge on how to present the evidence within the legal system, and the lack of regulation on their profession, which resulted in the miscarriages of justice, opened the eyes of the Ontario government. The government implemented legislation for state pathologists. Reforms were made to this system, such as an oversight council. Also, the maintenance of a registry of the qualified forensic pathologists was introduced. The Ontario government has implemented stricter guidelines to ensure miscarriages of justice do not happen when relying on expert evidence. For Tammy, she was granted a retrial in order for the court to hear fresh evidence. In the original trial, the evidence that her son died from an epileptic seizure was discounted as the neurologists given the evidence were said to lack the expertise on the subject. However, Tammy would not have to face the experience of another trial as prosecutors withdrew their charges. Tammy's conviction was quashed. Many of Smith's victims were offered compensation due to their wrongful convictions. However, Smith himself has not faced any charges for his crimes. He has only been fined around 3000 Canadian dollars, on top of his license being taken away. In Tammy's case, she was offered compensation from the government of around $250,000, but she is seeking more due to the 14 years spent in jail. On top of that, she had two children taken away from her at birth during the course of the case and the subsequent placement in jail. These children were placed for adoption. She has no idea where they are now. Tammy was just a young mother when she was charged with and convicted of killing her child. Today, Tammy is able to live her life as a free woman. She is a mother again, but is still plagued by the past. Tammy had her freedom taken away from the flawed expert evidence that Smith provided at her trial. The evidence that he gave in court was untouchable, which led to many miscarriages of justice. Throughout his career... As a trusted state pathologist, he caused many injustices to people's lives, especially Tammy's. Tammy Marquardt's story may have taken place in Canada, but it shows that a universal heavy reliance on expert witnesses can cause more harm than good. Emer will now discuss this within an Irish context. Charles Smith was an expert witness in the Tammy Marquardt trial, but it is clear from what has been discussed by my fellow reporters that he neglected his duties in the role, to say the very least. If we are to examine this with reference to the Irish jurisdiction, one key comparable aspect is the Supergrass witness, which played a key role in the Diplock courts of Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s. Like the false testimony of Charles Smith, Many Supergrass testimonies were key contributing factors to the miscarriage of justices that arose in Northern Ireland. To give a brief summary of the term Supergrass, the term grass originated in Britain and was used to describe those who turned Crown's witness in return for immunity, 
or in simple terms, a traitor. The addition of super was extended to those who testified in many criminal proceedings. In Northern Ireland, it quickly rose to prominence, having first been used to describe Christopher Black in 1981. He testified against many men, and in 1983, 22 members of the Provisional Irish Republican Army were sentenced to 4,000 cumulative years in prison. In that instance, 18 of the convictions were overturned three years later. This is only a fraction of the time Tammy spent in prison, but nonetheless, these victims were all robbed of their freedom due to the shortcomings of their judicial systems. This system is comparable to Charles Smith, as both of these men's testimonies were the leading cause of arrests and the subsequent miscarriage of justice. However, they are not exactly alike. Obviously, an expert witness needs to have qualifications to be applicable to give opinions on their expertise, whereas a supergrass can effectively be anyone. But it is worth remembering, prior to Tammy's case and those others who were served in injustice by Mr Smith, forensic pathologists were not required to have specific training in that field. Charles Smith himself was only a paediatric pathologist. As the unreliable nature of the supergrass informants came to light, it led to the final trial allowing such in 1985. Harry Kirkpatrick's testimony saw 25 members of the Irish National Liberation Army jailed. This clearly demonstrates the weight that was afforded to such evidence, which makes these miscarriage of justices unsurprising. It has to be noted, given that the island of Ireland was experiencing civil unrest and violence at the time, the judicial system was under severe pressure to show justice was being served to those who contributed to such destruction. This obviously favoured the use of such informants as this secured numerous convictions. Almost a year later, 24 of the men were exonerated. Here, there shows only a 4% accuracy of Kirkpatrick's statements, showing the dangers of such evidence which ultimately led to its abolition. Ireland has acknowledged the difficulties in using both expert witnesses and witnesses in general in the present day, encouraging judges to exercise their discretion in issuing warnings to juries where they see fit. This aids the jury in amounting the correct weight to evidence, as well as emphasising that no evidence is infallible. Both these witnesses, although not identical, could be contained to the same spectrum. They are both examples of damaging consequences that giving too much weight to evidence can have. The motive of a supergrass to lie is transparent, to win their immunity. However, with the case of experts, while a majority have no intention of creating false statements, their reasoning and the technology they rely upon can innocently be incorrect. In summary, both instances serve an injustice to the justice system and those relying upon it when they are afforded indestructible status as pieces of evidence. Tammy Markard spent 13 years in prison for a crime she did not commit and will never be compensated for all that she lost. Dr Charles Smith damaged many lives with his inaccurate evidence and paid only a small price for doing so. Without a formal review, who knows how many more people could have been wrongly convicted. Expert evidence is an important component of a trial. However, by issuing reminders to juries about giving the correct weight of dependence to expert evidence, judges can aid in the prevention of unjust convictions due to biased witnesses.